COVID hmm. is over. So let's pay attention to Tchaikovsky. Welcome, listeners. <laughs> As Sebastian freezes into oblivion. <laughs> There's only so many things to complain about in the world, and now it's all about a full-bodied orgasm listening to Tchaikovsky. I was really wondering how you were going to start off this episode, and I'm not surprised, but I'm not. Yeah, this is Ryan's favorite <laughs> story in the news right now. I mean, I, I can't believe it's a story. Uh, oh, I can. You can't. Did it get? Did it get the clicks that it aspired to get? I think so. Uh, probably. I mean, does it ring to uh, something that I have witnessed in real life? Yes. During a performance, yes. During a show, yes. Was it the King's Speech? Yes. No, it wasn't Tchaikovsky. It was Beethoven. Obviously, this won't be the main topic of the show. We'll have, I mean, it'll probably be fun st string of consciousness. But just want to get this off my chest because, again, the story is like, uh, uh, literally, from the L.A. Times. <laughs> A full-body orgasm at the L.A. Phil? Witnesses offer conflicting accounts. Uh, and this is written by Christy Caras. Uh, Conflicting accounts, meaning that someone enjoyed the audible moaning while someone didn't? I think it's more like some people heard it, others like, didn't. Like others heard two different things. Yeah. Okay. Um, like, yes, please moan louder at this event that I, that I paid X amount for. And <laughs> Okay. Molly Grant was enjoying the Los Angeles Philharmonic's performance of Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony on Friday at the Walt Disney Concert Hall when she heard what she described as a scream-slash-moan erupt from the balcony. Everyone kind of turned to see what was happening. Grant, who was seated near the person who allegedly made the noise, told the Times on Sunday in a phone interview. I saw the girl after it had happened, and I assumed that she had an orgasm because she was heavily breathing and her partner was smiling and looking at her, like in an effort to not shame her, said Grant, who works for a jewelry company and lives in Los Feliz. It was quite beautiful. God. <laughs> Multiple people who attended the LA Phil concert on Friday reported hearing a woman making a moaning noise during the symphony's second movement. One attendee, composer and music producer Magnus Fines, described the sound on Twitter as that of a person having a, quote, loud and full-body orgasm. An alleged audio recording of the moment, where someone can be heard crying out during a quiet beat in the music, was making the rounds on social media. Uh, this was something that a, I will just say now unnamed uh, LA Times reporter, well, shared a TikTok with the alleged uh, audio recording. And uh, yeah, it was kind of like, oh, wow. That's, uh, that's what Billy Idol would call a rebel yell. Uh, <laughs> trying to see if I can find because I think out of all of us the one person who I don't think has heard the audio uh, is on the show currently 
So I'm just going to send that that way and uh, listen at own right. risk. So as I mute myself for sake of not having this podcast demonetized. So while that's happening, uh, attendees who spoke to the Times said that the clip was similar to what they'd heard. Friends who went to the L.A. Philharmonic last night are reporting that in the middle of the show, some lady had a screaming orgasm to the point where the whole orchestra stopped playing, tweeted journalist Jocelyn Silver. Some people really know how to live. However, people in attendance said that the musicians played through the disturbance without stopping. Classical pianist Sharon Sue tweeted that she, quote, checked with someone who works at the okay, L.A. Phil. Okay, I was way off. I thought it was a female. That's a man orgasming. It, it wasn't? I don't think so. It was very, uh, like, guttural. Like, really? Yeah, full body. Get the fuck out of here. Are you serious? H has the person been confirmed? Has he or she stepped forward? Even so, though it would amount to who knows how much social ridicule? It, so I'll just, I'll skip ahead a bit. Is obviously... Padme safe? Is she all right? Oh my God. <laughs> who is this person <laughs> that sounds like such a that sounds like a, a dude I, that was like visceral like you could I felt that in my soul but uh... I don't know I okay anyway okay so just I'll, I'll, I'll try and make this wrap I'll just yeah hmm it is still unclear what exactly occurred in the audience. The Times has contacted the L.A. Phil for comment, but has not been able to identify or contact the person who made the sound. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the best idea. <clears throat> the audience member who was seated in the row behind the person said she had previously witnessed a person with narcolepsy experience a sleep attack, and what she saw at the L.A. Phil seemed similar. Mm. After the woman made the noise, her partner and another woman seated next to her asked if she was okay, and she replied that she was, according to the audience member, who reported overhearing the exchange. I so, it was a, so it was a woman then? Yeah. Get out of here. I gotta listen to it again. <laughs> uh, I know someone else mentioned she was smiling, but I'm pretty sure she was just really embarrassed because other people were looking at her, the audience member told the Times. Uh... Oh, and then you've got this wonderful description of uh, Tchaikovsky's Symphony number no. five. The luscious main theme was adapted for a popular love song. Tchaikovsky's skillful, skillful orchestration, however, lifts the mood from sentimentality to high romanticism. The movement's principal melody is presented in a memorable solo by the horn, followed by other appealing woodwind solos. Really going into the music theory of it all? Like, can't we just. Uh... Can't we I mean, just like look at this, accept it for what it is, and move on? That's basically what I'm doing at this point. But uh... I mean, it's not me. In you know, I'm not sitting here at the uh, at the milk bar at the Corova milk bar and just have this sudden uh, astute fascination for what was it, Beethoven in the movie? I'm not oh, in the sitting. King speech, yeah. No, oh, well, no, I meant Clockwork Orange. Oh yeah, but, yeah. Well, yeah. and that was in, that that instilled the King Speech uh, incident. 
Yeah, I was going to say, like, I'm not sitting here having this music be at the at the at each and every precipice of my life. I, I guess I'm not conditioned to have some sort of emotional attachment to classical music. However, good on her, but yes, music is very powerful. And if it makes you achieve that sense of self-release and satisfaction i guess she's better off in her life than we'll ever be if she can grasp the little things like that and just completely have an out-of-body experience oh god i don't know i kind of don't buy it still i mean i well no you think I, it was it a is... stunt <laughs> <laughs> Uh, maybe I just think it's funny in the story. Well, you know, not even talking about uh, the incident, but I love all the quotes are just like a music agent from Los Feliz, a, you know, a rich dude from Atwater Village. And it's just like, come on. Um, mm. Just a very L.A. slant to that story. And the fiends that you mentioned, the guy quoted apparently is Ralph Fiennes' brother, according to one Google result link. So that's uh, just like... Uh, yeah, maybe rich people move differently. I don't know how else to describe it. It was a Friday night performance. I mean, who in LA is going on a Friday night? I mean, yeah, it does sound fun, but mm. this is some some rich people shit. I mean, that's all I could think. I'm just wondering if it was some heckler being like, hey, let's just go ahead and not ruin it, but see if we can intentionally create a spectacle. I mean, I don't know. It It, it just... It seems so far-fetched to be moved in that way to that to such a capacity, but again, props to if it was real, props. And you've made a TikTok for the ages. I'm sure that'll be in many Vine or at least Vine-esque compilations down the road. If you laugh, you lose, and I laughed, so I guess I lost. But yeah, she came out a winner on that one, I guess. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> do I do I buy it necessarily? I mean, you know what? I'll believe it because I've seen it, and I know that somehow. Right. <clears throat> I know that somehow people can be affected by music in that way. Have I ever been emotionally moved by music? Yeah, not in that sense, but mm -hmm. okay, fine. You know. It, I get it if it hits people in different ways. I guess if anything, it, it to kind of echo Drew's point. Like it is such a rich person thing. It does beg the question of if this person was a Clockwork Orange fan, because for all I know, that could that could have instilled it. Um, <laughs> although again, based on my own personal experience, like it was because it was Beethoven in a Clockwork Orange that it instilled the reaction I saw with King's Speech. So. Mm. I mean, it it just kind of makes me wonder, just to sort of validate my point more, that if, if we're in an age of uh, making public spectacles out of ourselves with the advent of a supercomputer in our pockets, it makes me wonder that if this was done intentionally as just to completely disrupt the entire pacing of the performance, if that person knew that someone had to be recording and it subsequently had to have been released online or oh yeah oh this will make the news ah <laughs> then that's the reason why they did it that would not surprise me at all 
you know, hey, what what's five set what's five fifteen minutes of fame for five seconds of just dumbassery? <laughs> you know, I guess there I guess there's many different ways that you can go ahead and get your name on a on a bigger tombstone stating all your accomplishments. And if if, if this is on there by the time you're six feet under, I mean doing better than me i can't say for certain that i've done something like this and maybe this individual came out a better person on the other side who knows i could tell you're speechless no i i would be too if i would be forced to analyze this i feel like i'm in a master's program analyzing two lines of a hundred year old poem oh let's see what happens if we uh i don't know look at it from this point of view Look at it from the point of view of what? If someone who just had a complete public orgasm or the other point of view where someone just did it because it was a social experiment. I despise <laughs> both people at the end of the day because I'm just uh, now I'm just picturing this person showing up to the LA Philharmonic because you said, you know, oh, just doing this for the sake of a social experiment. And I'm just mm -hmm. imagining them with a bandana on their face. It's and just it's like a prank, yeah. Well, it's it's like that scene in Back to the Future Part Three when Doc and Marty uh, hijack that train, and they got their guns pointed at them, and they got their faces covered, and the guy's like, you know, is this a holdup? And they look at each other, and Doc goes, "It's a science experiment." Uh, People make spectacles out of themselves. That's no, that's that's not news. Yeah. Is this the case? I don't know. And quite frankly, if I spend another minute trying to analyze this, you need to lock me up in a in a mental ward because I, I I can't go about my life. Hold on, let me let me read the note from the psychologist. Uh -oh. I can't go about my life wondering why people do the things that they do. I can only enjoy my life. There is no note. I made it up. Um, yeah, I mean it's. It's a good laugh at social media, on social media, I should say. You know, haha, -ha, that was funny. Venture to guess, many people just swiped up and forgot all about it twenty minutes later. So this is journalism hashtag twenty twenty three. Like I don't know, man. Like it kind of bugs me that the story also has more in depth reporting than like crime in South LA. You know, like that yeah. same day, like somebody probably got shot and killed, but like. You know, let's interview everybody. Let's call the fire department and let's say, did you re respond to a report of a distress call? Like, come on, man, what are we doing? I mean, yes, it's fun. I know, you know, it's clicks. Would, would one of us write it? Yeah, we might have to. Um, but so I understand. But um, yeah, it's it's a it's a tweet. It's a viral moment. Um, you know, I I saw it on the news out here too. So. Uh, I'm sure she wasn't going for the viral moment. Otherwise, we would have seen the TikTok from her perspective. You know, like, what is it? Those those bad YouTube, you know, like. Good point. Uh, yeah. I, I, those I, YouTubes I, with all caps. <laughs> like, getting sexy at the orchestra in parentheses, caught, you know, or something like that. Something like that. Shocking. That, so. <laughs> I was yeah. kicked out. Oh, I wonder why. Like, really? <laughs> God. Yeah, or maybe she just sneezed. I don't know, man. Like that's a thing. Like maybe she had a bowel movement. Like there could be, it could that that honestly like could be. I just don't know what to make of it, and I think the um, sometimes the story are, kills me. 
sometimes you either come in the sink or you sink in the cum. So. Oh, God. You either come a hero or you come long enough to see yourself become the villain. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, God. Speaking of coming and going, we're going to go away from this topic. Uh, how we doing, gentlemen? How's uh, how's life treating you? It's springtime. The weather's hopefully getting warmer. Uh, mm-hmm. It certainly is here in uh, good old Massachusetts. How, how about over at your end, uh, Mr. Shug? Are you asking this because you have a zinger of a story to inform us that life is indeed not great? Or are you genuinely asking? I'm genuinely asking. It's not, oh, okay. It was a, uh, I heard about a rain cloud in, in Santa Clarita that went kablooey all over the Saugus Speedway. No, I... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's raining. As much as I believe that this podcast is elevated past the point of uh, <laughs> elevator talk, how's the weather? Weather sucks. There isn't a sun in the sky and it's been cloudy for the past five days hmm. that being said it's weather that i personally enjoy however yes it is relatively gloomy and uh i mean i've expressed my dissent for the sun and the flocks of people that it brings to the beach and how everyone in California feels that they need to do everything in California. I could go on and on, and I have. So refer to earlier episodes on that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's all right. Not really much else to say. If I could control the weather, I would. But like most individuals, much less a meteorologist who can't even predict it half the time, uh, weather's good. Okay, see, now is the the part where you're supposed to be like, well, Seb, do I have some news for you? Man, I think think Ryan's happy just because it's uh, (laughs) spring in Boston, and um, goddamn, the weather, when it gets good on the East Coast, it's like you're a new person. So Mm -hmm. I think Ryan's feeling the, uh, I don't know, the the spring, God, insert pun here for spring. But like Ryan's feeling it. So I, I can imagine. I mean, I'm feeling it too. And it's good because um it's nice to go outside. Um, it's nice not to be locked up and watch TV because it won't be TV. But like it's uh it's it's uh it's a good times out here. But you know it, otherwise it's like what else is there going on? I mean, it's like what am I gonna do? Uh stay inside and watch TV, get addicted to TikTok. Um, watch the latest Trump headline. It's uh, the world still uh, the world still on fire, literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, regarding I guess hobbies, I would say that uh, working out has definitely been a very good use of my time. I would go so far as to say that it. Uh, mentally speaking, uh, I. Look, I'm not one to drink the Kool-Aid, but after sticking with it for a couple weeks, it has helped. And I mean, oh, golly, you know, uh, the sun getting out there, taking walks, enjoying the scenery around you. 
maybe not having such a soul-crushing job or occupation and uh you know actually enjoying what each day has to bring yeah that would indeed make someone men make someone's mental state much better so it's it's been good in that regard you know it's it's been very it's been very nice and of course this show and the youtube channel and uh there's more to life than what people have laid out for us, gents. Definitely. You mean you're not excited to win money from Mr. Beast? I don't live in North Carolina, so I can't say that uh, my odds were really high to begin with. <laughs> Refer to the episode about my stance on the lottery, and you should get your answer. If I were to bump into someone like Mr. Beast... I would probably shake his hand and thank him for what he's doing for the community. And uh, that's about it. I would not expect anything from him. And if he does happen to hand me $10,000 in a silver briefcase, I would say, thank you, but man, is this going to be a tax hit? So much obliged, good sir. I wish I could have the uh, disposable income to have challenges like this. I just covered the entire world in gold. If there's <laughs> someone out there who, you know, <laughs> I just gave someone the gold touch, like Midas's touch. <laughs> We're here to conduct an experiment to see if you can live a long, fulfilling life. D don't touch your family or uh, who, who, the, la <laughs> the last person to. <laughs> to, to, to hey. I don't know, man. It sounds like you're uh, not a fan. Oh, no. Mr. Beast, I very much am. It's just that I really don't spend a lot of time watching like trending channels, if that makes sense. Mm. It's one of those things where if yeah. I'm going to turn on YouTube, I'm going to turn it on solely for the background noise and solely for, I mean, just topics for the show, but as well as if I'm publishing something on YouTube, like a narration. Right. But um, as well as people who have kind of embraced themselves in the meme, like I think Mr. Beast has embraced himself in the meme of just being that guy who's very, who also happens to be very charitable. You know, you want to talk about professional middle class. <laughs> uh, that's an exception. Hmm. That's an exception. Wow, people utilizing their money for good. Cherish the thought. Yeah, I, I got really confused when I saw people sharing his post with a bunch of money on their Instagram stories. At first I thought, oh, all my friends are getting hacked. Oh, no. Uh, turned out I was still kind of right. Um, but I mean, it's it's interesting because in my inbox, I have an email, subject line, you were sent 0.00006604 bitcoins. And if I calculate that, I've just made, well, okay, I, I really can't because my internet browser isn't going to let me. A, a substantial amount of money, I'm assuming. Or maybe it's like 20 bucks. Mm -hmm. Who knows? 
$1. I made $1.82. Okay. Obvious scam, but it's those types of emails where you're just like, hey, how many people have fallen for this? I wonder. There's got to be someone out there who's desperate for two bucks. But I don't know. I feel like I feel like I have a better chance of meeting someone like him out in the wild than I ever would uh, going down the rabbit hole of one of those emails. So. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just to touch back on what uh, Drew was saying about the weather here. Yeah, I, I'm feeling it, baby. Uh, it's it's pretty good. Pretty good spring spring weather. Gotta say, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Uh, <laughs> no, seriously, it's, you know, getting to be out and about, not have rain and clouds and thunderstorms and whatnot. It's refreshing. And, you know, if, if anything, it's just a nice sign that uh, that really fun part of the year called summer is finally here. And I can feel a summer that is probably still going to be grueling, but just not as grueling as the last several that I've had to experience. So I'm very excited. And hey, you know what? There's nothing quite like uh, getting to quite literally pock your ka at Havid Yad and get to walk around the campus and, <sighs> you know, go to the museum and uh, look at some really old very strangely faced primates here and there. Um, although the best part is when you got a couple of like French girls walk by and then you lean over to your girlfriend and go, we oui. like you're Bill Murray and uh, just get slapped in the arm for being a schmuck. Um, <laughs> Oh no. Dude, <laughs> oh, no. It sounds like it sounds like just a blind date gone wrong. We, oui. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, new life. What can I say? Mm. Um, yeah. So, what's uh, what has been catching your guys' eye in terms of what's in the news? Obviously, you've got a lot going on. Uh, you know, there's the Hollywood writer strike, which is expected to be probably as long and Jeez. As big and as long, there we go, uh, as the 2008 strike that cost a James Bond movie, um, you know, Biden's running Or save again. the franchise. Oh, wait, no, that was after Daniel Craig. My yeah. mistake. Wait, say that again? The what? I was like, it saved the franchise, but I forgot what year it happened. So, you know, I... Uh, was looking at the list of productions that were going to be affected. Uh, you know, lots of TV shows, you know. What, I, what shows? Is there a list? Sort of a list. I mean, out of all places, Wikipedia is so, so, easy so place that I can look. So that I can judge them prematurely, uh, having never seen probably any of these shows, and we'll kind of take our humorous gallivant from there. Well, I mean, have you seen, um, you know, the uh, every late night show, for instance, which breaks the illusion I had as a little kid that these comedians were funny enough to like write their own jokes every night. And <laughs> that that was shattered. I'm like, what do you mean they have writers write saw, these mid jokes? I, I saw that how every <laughs> single TV funny man pretty much was given the axe by way of this strike. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, okay. 
And the bad news is where <laughs> exactly? I, you know me, uh, and as well as my dissenting opinions towards TV funny men, it's not a personal strike against them, just more so a uh, vicarious means to get your politics and humor from, which I find chuggy and uh, not funny in the slightest. Because you know what's worse than a bad comedian? Someone retelling those bad jokes from that bad comedian who is, in fact, a nobody, whether in real life or on social media. So uh, to have that proverbial, quote-unquote, humorous echo chamber, uh, it's not a good day for anyone. So... Well, I don't think Gutfeld got postponed. So oh, that's no worries. Cool. Hey, I'm I'm equal opportune. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> dear God. I I understand making light out of politics and societal observations. You know, is one thing, and God knows that in this society we need humor. It's not mm-hmm. funny though. So not funny because the strike is happening or oh, oh, just not funny point blank period. If the main goal <laughs> is to watch these TV funny men is that I'm going to laugh and engage myself in their comedy and I'm not laughing. Is it because I don't get it or is it because as Drew said, their jokes are mid and in turn, if there's a writing strike and these quote-unquote jokes are affected, is it a loss at the end of the day? I, no, I'm I, being honest, because it's someone's livelihood to write these bad jokes, okay? Right. And to write these tone-deaf observations about the state of politics and how, surprise, surprise, liberals don't like conservatives, and conservatives don't like liberals. Color me shocked. And the fact that you have to write at the expense of the other and at the hopeful demise of the other so that you can justify your point. The problem is though, is that if it's so rooted in boohooism and all oh, man, man, I, I hope that one of these gotcha moments takes them off their pedestal and we'll be the, uh, the party that, that comes out on top. Uh, that seems a little, uh, vapid at the end of the day. Like, what, we're going to win this war with comedy? And not only that, you're going to win this... You think you're going to win this war with comedy. Where is the comedy? Where is the funny? Basically, you know? Like, give me something to laugh at, and then I'll tell you that you got good ammunition there, boss. I mean, is that the goal of these shows, though? To change the votes through jokes? I mean, oh, Trump's orange vote for vote blue. Like... I, I would assert, I would assert that that's probably an underlying reason. If you're predominantly of one political preference, and you decide to watch a pundit, a personality, hell, if you decide to go to whatever rally suits your political fancy, aren't you there to have some semblance of confirmation bias? And understand what your party does right and the other what the other party does wrong, and thereby laugh at their expense while also laughing at your subsequent superiority? Isn't that all it is? Or is it a genuine challenging of ideas through humor? 
Of course it isn't. You know, when you say that, though, like, I feel like even when it comes to late night shows, I see the list of talk shows that are getting postponed and, you know, mm-hmm. Jimmy Kimmel, haha. But it's like you see other ones like The Daily Show. Well, I, I don't even know who's the host anymore, but like real Nobody time does. with Bill Maher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Real time with Bill Maher, you know, something where I thought, at least as a kid, like, oh, intellectuals at the table, you know, and it's like, <laughs> yes, yeah, I didn't know, but, you know, right. but it's like, but now to the, me, yeah, that was that was like the, the highbrow like level where the hypothetical you suggest sure. it was occurring. Yeah, I've regaled my anecdotal instances of being in the car with my dad early morning driving to elementary school. All I would listen to is conservative talk radio. All I would listen to are the Rush Limbaugh's and the Michael Savage's and the John and Ken's and the Glenn Beck's. And I thought that because that they were on the radio, because that they had some position of journalistic power. I mean, they're on the radio. We're not, you know, speaking in the medium that we are in, it's like, okay, understandably they got there because they have a high listener base assuming, okay, why else would they have airtime? Well, th- hold if on. They were pe- also given a lot of carte blanche to do and say what they will. Of course. Writers, though, are literally up against... I mean, like, to give some context here, it isn't just, you know, a matter... I mean, yeah, obviously you're going to have writers that are trying to mm-hmm. give off whatever political opinion based on the audience, based on the comic, whoever. At the right. end of all of this, though, the goal is strictly a matter of, okay... The studios can't get their act together when it comes to streaming and when it comes to keeping, making sure that we can actually like keep our jobs. Right, and, and I keep agree us, with like, that. Like functioning as workers, as employed workers. So therefore, because of this just disastrous situation, mm-hmm. going on strike. And, yeah, and and I agree that that is something that needs to be addressed for sake of occupational security. The problem right. is, is that when this writer's strike inevitably ends, because hope to God it does, is there going to be a shift in content? Is there going to be something that breaks the mold so that perhaps ratings are higher? Is there going to be precautions in place to ensure that this doesn't happen again and that people can keep their jobs? <laughs> Or are they going to the be expansion of AI? <laughs> or are they going to, or are they going to be falling into the same exact trap of just keeping their ratings, playing it safe, and producing content that, personally, I don't find entertaining. Now, that's my opinion, and of course, everyone is obviously uh, not here to squander anyone else's opinions. You're welcome to have your own. It's just that growing up and understanding what the agendas are at the end of the day, as I co- as I came to understand radio hosts, for example, or, ra- or talk show personalities, I-, I find that just getting your political ideology from that vicariously, it's not, it doesn't require a whole lot of thought. And the writers that perpetuate that those jokes. I'm not saying that they deserve to be homeless, but at the end of the day, if I don't find their content funny, if many other individuals don't find their content amusing, who's to say that they won't be out of a job for a longer period of time? 
mediocrity gets rewarded everywhere, let alone TV. I mean, you look at the list of TV shows that are continuing and I don't want to disparage any of these TV shows, but, you know, I don't think anyone is expecting greatness from SNL necessarily. Yeah. They have Mm -hmm. some zingers, but like, you know, or is the same for like some of these like big mouth season eight, I can't believe it's there, you know, like mm-hmm. um, Jeopardy season 40, like how, what is there to write? Like just ask chat GPT at this point, but it's the kind of thing where, I'm, I mean, after the last strike, it's not like we were hit with the wave of amazing TV shows. Maybe, you know, Game of Thrones might've just been good timing rather than a product of the strike, picking out the bad writers and bringing in the good. I don't know enough about this, but I don't recall this big wave of a golden age of TV mm-hmm. emerging post-strike. Okay. And so- let's also consider the fact that even during the last strike, while you had writers on strike, you still at times had directors and actors continuing to do filming. Mm-hmm. And Quantum of Solace is the example that continuously gets brought up right now. And it's it really is the best example, even though I think... There was like the second Transformers movie, which I think was also a casualty of the writer strike, where Michael Bay, I think, filled <laughs> That's in. That's why it sucked, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and Quantum of Solace was the same way, where the director, Mark Forster, I think was his name, uh, and Daniel Craig basically stepped in and wrote stuff on the fly. I mean, they had a script. That's Here's the thing, though. They had a script, but when it came to you know changing things up, or, oh, maybe this makes more sense, or maybe deliver this line differently. You didn't have actual writers going back and forth. You had the director and the star of the movie, and it led to a very lackluster product. So, believe me, I agree with you that, you know, when I see this list, I mean, there's Marvel stuff on here that I don't care about that is basically going to be perpetually stalled. Another good example is the new Superman movie, where... The person who is also, who is the head of the studio, co-head of DC Studios, is also the uh, director of the movie and the screenwriter of the movie, and he's a WG, he's a Writers Guild of America member. That's the union on strike. For listeners that are wondering what the hell we're talking about, so what is what does James Gunn do? And obviously, like I talk, I bring him up as an example of like he's in a really awkward situation. I'm absolutely not a fan of his. In fact, I'm even less inclined to check out his Superman movie because of because of him. So I get it. I I totally am on the same page as you, where it's like uh, there's a lot of this content that doesn't tickle my fancy. But at the same time, and this is where it gets into that territory where I don't even want to cover it for my job. You know, I say this as somebody who was both a former employee of one of these studios that is getting a lot more shit than the rest of them, but also, and deservedly so in my opinion, and also have, I have friends that are on the picket line, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not saying they're, I'm not saying they're Mario Puzo, but, you know, or George Lucas, at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, you want, it's, you want people to at least be able to make a living, and obviously, yeah, there's the bigger existential question of, well, if people are just pumping out mediocre content, do they deserve to get paid? That's totally a fair argument. But then at the same time, you've got the people that have these jobs that also are at the mercy of an industry that's experiencing a plethora of major existential crises from AI's growing presence in in the art space 
as well as streaming, the streaming wars being what they are. It's fair. Like, let's let's also talk about how, you know, what what does this mean in terms of the future of Hollywood? Obviously, the first immediate answer is, well, it means these people get back to work, which means, you know, maybe some things come out better, maybe some things come out just as bad as they were going to be, or mediocre. Mm. Or, and again, this is going off what happened with Quantum of Solace and Revenge of the Fallen, uh, you wind up with something that's morbidly awful, and it tanks at the box office, and then the studios lose money because they thought, oh, we don't need the writers, we can just have Michael Bay write it. Right. You know What, ha what happens in the instance where... Uh strike is over negotiations are reached and the end result is that worse product who do the studios blame well it begs the question of in a hypothetical obviously yeah yeah i mean if anything it begs the question of are those writers coming back and producing a worse product which that no, it's just it's just a product that didn't meet expectations it's nobody's fault other than, I mean, I don't want to put blame on the consumers because it's ultimately their choice if he or she wants to see something of anything at any box office. But if it's content that nobody is finding engaging anymore and that's all that's being pumped out in Hollywood, again, hypothetically, for example, yeah, I mean, I, I've already kind of gave my grading opinion about superhero movies and how either you drew or Matt said it, that it doesn't challenge any expectations. I guess how far until, how far is it do we need to go until the dissenting opinions become sort of the, the backbone of, hey, these movies aren't good anymore, or they're not as good as maybe how we remember them. And that in turn affects someone's livelihood. And at that point, it begs the question, well, if these movies aren't constituted as quote good anymore, how do we adapt? You know what I mean? And that's well, just one example. I mean, I think, I think that if anything with that example, there's a lot of different roads that could go down in terms of are you know, who, who worked on these scripts? Um, are they Frankenstein scripts? Mm. Are they priests? Like for example, with Superman, the script is in, so right now the only concern is the fact that the, the the writer is also the director and he's I think I think James Gunn is striking with WGA. I know he's a WGA member, so you know, it, it begs the question if anything it also begs the question of scheduling which begs the question of okay, is this movie going to are they going to get all the stars to align so that everyone who works on the movie can, and therefore the movie comes out the day it's supposed to, it's premiere day? It also begs the question of who's actually writing these scripts when production happens. Because, hmm. you know, if it is a, a Quantum of Solace example, then, okay, you can keep going with it. It just means that the product might suck. At the same time, though... Think of it this way. You could have a horrible movie that was barely written, that was Frankenstein to world's end, but the movie makes like a billion dollars, like a Transformers movie. Mm. I mean, there, there are so many possibilities that I don't think there's any one right answer 
And there really isn't because, it, I mean, you know me, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. Like, there's a lot of stuff out there that I just, ugh. But. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, wonder, but, like, you wonder who writes this, you know, because it isn't. Of course, yeah. It isn't the, it isn't like the, it isn't the TV personalities themselves. Of course not. You know. Although some I, of them are striking too. Hmm. You know, I mean, like, you got big names like J.J. Abrams going out with some of these folks. And even, dare I say it, some of the awful writers of the Transformers movies who have also written some of the recent Star Trek movies and Star Trek series. Right. They're right. They're on. They're going out there, too. And and again, I say that as people as as people as a person that thinks they're horrible writers. Mm hmm. Um, and, and that people should not have to rely on Kurtzman and Orsi to create the next Star Trek. Right. To whatever, you know, but then you got like actors that are trying to make it big. Like the guy that plays cousin Greg in succession, who's like, you know, promoting WGA and, and showing up on their Instagram page. So it's, hmm. It, I mean, it, it goes all over the place. And again, like I said, I got friends that are stri- on strike. So, and I want, I, you know, obviously I want what's best for them. So it's, if anything, the, the win should just go to people that just want a decent living and a decent, you know, sense of humility with their jobs. It's never going to be perfect. I mean, for goodness sake, the amount of shit that, uh, uh, what's his name? I think it was Herman... I think his first name was Herman Mankiewicz, the guy that basically wrote or uh, Citizen Kane. Like, I mean, he he got shafted to no end, and the movie still came out, and he still got accolades. Um, and this was amidst a depression. This was amidst pressure from William Randolph Hearst. This was amidst pressure from uh, Louis B. Mayer at MGM. You know, I'm conveniently reading about the worst kind of screenwriting experience with my latest uh, Bukowski acquisition that I got at the Harvard bookstore. So that Andrew and I talked about last season, you know, I'll report on it one day, my buddy. Uh, But, you know, it's this 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 will happen again. You know, don't kid yourself, but um whether or not this is going to blossom into some kind of golden age, I'm not holding my breath. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I look at the list of shows and like, yeah, I'm not a TV guy per se, but I do see some like shows that are well-regarded. You know, like for instance, I see the Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon. Like, actually, House of the Dragon season two is still going. George R. R. Martin's like, well, we already wrote our revisions. You know, like, okay, sure, that's fine. But like, I also see like, <laughs> it's funny to see on the list of postponed movies. Also, like, Superman Legacy is coming out in twenty twenty five, and like, it's already screwed over. So, I mean, I mean, do they anticipate? the strike to go on that long oh no 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 (laughs) like wow you know (laughs) well the 2008 strike i think was like three months Mm. 100 days but again it goes back to what i was just saying that you've got to get all your ducks in a row to you know make sure everyone's schedules work out so they can all work on the movie this strike totally messes up everyone's schedules 
And so therefore, what do you do when, you know, the person that you thought had the best idea for, I don't know, Superman's costume or, you know, the production designer, the who, like, literally name the on-set film job. Can you get the person that you wanted, the person that you thought was best for the job? No, because they're down the, they're, uh, down the lot helping film Godzilla versus Kong versus Monkey King. You know, so it's you're you're you, it screws up everybody. It does, but again, in in an uncertain time, what do you do when you've got people working that want to work but don't feel like they can? Um, and then on top of that, it doesn't help when. Uh, <laughs> Uh, just trying to pull the story up here. Uh, the president of Warner Brothers is apparently going to be giving the commencement speech at, uh, speech at Boston University, and apparently striking workers might actually pick, uh, excuse me, picket that commencement ceremony. Oh, goody. Oh, so, goody. That's... I and by the way, this many, is... I wonder uh, how many screenwriting majors you know, who are just now graduating, looking in on what's happening are just like, man, that sucks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there go my chances. You literally read the, mo you literally said almost word for word what a coworker said uh, yesterday. Mm. So yeah. Uh, and just to read a little bit from one news website, uh, as the dispute over working conditions and pay stretches into its second week, Zaslav, uh, CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, uh, Zaslav's hefty compensation package, around $250 million total last year, including stock options, has become a rallying point. Uh, the Writers Guild of America East calling, uh, called inviting Zaslav, a Boston University School of Law alum, a, quote, poor decision. So. Yeah, I'll say. Leave it to the man in charge, basically saying, hey, those four years were for naught. Uh, find something else. Hey, let's do Honey Boo Boo 2, Electric Boogaloo. Let's, uh, yeah. Let's have some good writers, why don't we? Well, this is the guy that thought Honey Boo Boo was a good idea, by the way. Yeah, let's have some. That's running Warner Brothers. Yeah. Let that sink in. Remember that whole discussion about title dictating behavior? This is one of those where I would openly go against that. <laughs> when I'm all, you know. Uh, so, but anyway, that's another big thing in the news right now. Uh, I, Andrew, I feel like that whole slow news cycle thing you were talking about several episodes ago just keeps on a chugging, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we're going to get a, a TV series about a train exploding before we hear an update about those people. So, um, yeah, like everything that and then like, you know, this is at the same time, like Trump is getting guilt, found guilty in a civil case. Like, yeah, man, the, the, and the world uh, continues to go to hell. So uh, we're just the guy. <laughs> I've never even seen it. We're just the guy writing the, the missile at the end of Dr. Strangelove. 
Yep. I was going to say Dr. Zhivago. Yeah. Wrong. See, I need to watch Get Up on my classic movies. Actually, maybe that's a good call. Hey, all you, uh, you know, TV watchers and movie watchers that don't know what to watch. There's nothing. Turn on an old movie. Watch something in black and white. I yeah, like that watch, idea. Yeah. Watch something already made. Maybe it's better than what's out now. You don't know. <laughs> like Batman Forever. <laughs> I mean, hey, at the end of the day, at least those people who wrote Batman Forever are still getting those residual checks for writing Batman Forever. So I don't know who who came out on top at the end here. I would hope that a residuals contract was not... I mean, there's always been sort of... Isn't that one of the main issues with the with the strike? that like streaming residuals was just non commensurate to what, you know, what they were. I think I remember reading in an article that the, uh, the offer on the table brought back uh, from the board of directors was zero. And I'm like, I'm like, you tone deaf motherfuckers, dude. No, I mean, it's, you know, you look at the news right now, I mean, obviously it's May, you know, it's all post-May Day, and it's it's pretty much become the month of the strike. I mean, I you know, I'm covering strikes for work. It's, it's happening all over the place, um, all over Massachusetts, all over the country. And, you know, at the end of the day, either you keep paying attention to that or you distract yourself because short round is, is – uh, you know, presenting Biden at the White House, and you're just thinking, how did this show up on my timeline? Um, yeah. Uh, anything else in the news that has uh, caught your attention as of late that uh, we could talk about for a few minutes? So there's an HBO show about uh, Watergate, and I'm just like, who asked for this? I don't know if you've seen it yet. It's called, like, The White House Plumbers. As Woody Harrelson, I'm just like, I just want to shake him. Like, what are you doing? Just stop acting. Like, you peaked already. But <laughs> I, I see this show and I kind of like, did we need another Watergate show? Is it just because the youth, like, is it's an HBO show. Is this fall under the Zaslav umbrella? But like, I'm sure it's fine. I'm not sure if it, whose book it's based off of or what really. So I'm really talking out of, you know, out of nothing here. But I, I, I've seen this and it's just like in the string of new TV shows, you know, like what's actually out, what's worth paying attention to. I saw this and I got kind of mad. Mm. Like, so uh, not sure, you know, as journalists, all the presidents may be my favorite movie, but um, it's just like, there's no reason for me to be mad at a TV show coming out, you know, or at an idea, you know, let people enjoy what they want to enjoy, of course, but mm -hmm. uh no, see, 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 this is where you say no more political biopics. They suck. They do not make for good entertainment. It, you know, I venture to guess what they're going to do. Same. Is Oppenheimer out? What was not the yet. prediction? Okay. What was the prediction that I made? They are going to dramatize it, stretch it out into a feature length film. And then in the last 30 seconds, show a black and white still image of the events with white text. With a two-paragraph <laughs> jaunt of what actually happened ripped right from Wikipedia. How much do you want to bet? Because they did this in Chernobyl 
okay, on the on the miniseries, mm-hmm. how much do you want to bet that they would do the same thing here? With every single historical documentary, biopic, what have you, mm-hmm. how much do you want to bet that they're going to follow that same formula? Okay, they're going to follow with they're going to follow the formula, but they're going to have it all in front of a mushroom cloud. Okay, and like, is that necessarily good entertainment? Is it, or is it just something that we've seen ad nauseum, and? You know, we're just getting more of it just for sake of getting more of it. You know, it's, it, I don't know. I just find it really odd that they would sort of subject themselves to the same formula. And it's like, like what's, what's new? What can possibly be extracted from what already isn't historically recorded? At that I mean, point, Doug- yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I'm sorry. I think my I lost my internet there for a minute. But did yeah. Dunkirk have the white text at the end? I mean, we already we don't need to re- talk about Tenet again. But I was reading about how you know a lot of the Nolan team is back on Oppenheimer. Uh-huh. I saw the new trailer and I saw Matt Damon just being Matt Damon. So I'm already a little disheartened, and I'm pumped as hell for this movie, especially because it's filmed in my former backyard. I suppose Los Alamos, Española, New Mexico. But um, I. I'm just like, I see the trailer teasing the atoms, you know, like the atoms, like, oh, you're going to talk bomb. And it's just like, you're, I, I, mm-hmm. I did Batman, uh, did what's it called? Did the Dark Knight Rises end with the white text just being like, Batman lives in Italy? Like, no, oh. like, come on. Like, <laughs> right, right. And... I, I, I have more faith in Christopher Nolan than that, even though my faith has been shaken. You know, it's one of those things where if it's like you really want to subvert our expectations, you put the black and white, you put the white text on the black background before the movie and say, in 19, uh, was it 45? 44. 44? Okay. Yeah. In, in 1944, two atomic bombs were, um, were dropped on the country. Oh, 45, 45. Sorry. 45, excuse sorry. me. Yeah. I think you're like, talking about, I think going to talk about the development of them, no. but. Sorry, continue. In 1945, two atomic bombs landed on the coastal island of Japan. And then it goes through everything, you know, that that needs to be talked about to summarize it. And then the final words are, this is not that story. And you get a completely different story. <laughs> I don't know. Do you... Hire this man. Yeah. yeah. Writer's stri- <laughs> what writer's strike? Yeah. What? <laughs> that was just off the top. No, ch- no chat GPT needed. You know, no chat GPT needed. You know, it's, I just wonder if they're going to fall into that same trope of like, hey, this is how we tell a historical story, even though we know how the historical story has been told. Because, Drew, as you said, this is not the first time that they've done something about Watergate, right? Oh, God, no. Yeah, I mean, no. all the president's men is untouchable classic. Yeah, and all the books written about it, it's like, okay, how how else are we supposed to view what happened? Okay. Right. Uh, me well, yeah, me hearing about how JFK got shot doesn't degrade the fact that there's still a uh sizable caliber that went through his head. And at that point, it's like at that at that point if there was like new footage that got released or I don't know, maybe the CIA uh, 
having some choice words about what actually happened. Brassy Null 4K on the season released, yeah. Well, you All see, the Sean, the you... reason why I'm running is because there's so much information out there that the CIA hasn't released about how my uncle was killed. Take all the theories God. that you thought, flip them on their head. It never happened. Yeah. That car, never there. Who's John <laughs> F. Kennedy? Who? What convertible? Lee Harvey Oswald, he was still serving in the Marines. What are you, what are you talking about? Hey, I thought it was I thought it was uh, the comedian from Watchmen. Who's I mean, look, Lee Harvey Os- Oswald guy. Like... I mean, look, I'm watching the Zapruder film, and all of a sudden, my girlfriend Heather comes home, and she's like, "Hey, what's up? What are you watching?" Oh, I'm just watching the Zapruder film. She tur- she looks at the TV, <laughs> and she and she asks me, "Why are you just watching Static?" And then the movie ends. That's the movie right there. <laughs> Jeez. It's weird how I would just stare at blank static for two and a half hours. Like she was wondering why that was. <laughs> so the series, which is called White House Plumbers, is based on a book called and, and honestly, this is like I I don't know what these guys were who mean who the hell Okay, it was written by e- Who the hell writes this shit, huh? Eagle <laughs> Groff or Grogue. An American lawyer who became infamous infamous as an official of the Nixon administration and who was imprisoned for his part in the Watergate affair. The book is called Integrity. Good people, bad Whatever. choices, and life lessons from the White House. Now, I do echo Drew's point because, you know, it was in vogue during the Trump years to have a bunch of Watergate stuff because, you know, oh, we got a, we have a criminal president now. We've had criminal presidents before. How recent? Uh, Richard Nixon. You know, and it's just like, okay, but why do we need this story for the 19th millionth time? I mean, it's... Are you sure that's all you got? Are you sure that all you can do is just keep saying, you see, it's like Nixon. Like, I mean, come on, give me a break. Like, well, you I know what's going to happen again with Trump. Every single indictment is going to get its own damn movie and miniseries. So it's like, give it a American decade. Crime story. It's all, yeah. it's already happening, though. Like, yeah. there was that show with uh, Mad Eye Moody, Brendan Gleason playing Trump, where, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's doing the whole I like honest loyalty thing. And, you know, they got Jeff Daniels as Robert Mueller, and he looks nothing like Robert Mueller. Uh, Robert Mueller. Um, James Comey. I mean, right. you know, it I, it was like a Showtime miniseries, and and I forgot they had somebody playing Obama that didn't even look or sound like him. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I I hear you. I've seen the ads for it. I mean, there was another show just recently with like last year with Julia Roberts. I think I think it was Julia Roberts about um. Uh, about one of the wives of one of the men involved in Watergate. I mean, it's like, do we really need to pluck every little thing out? Here's a wild idea, and this is probably going to be the most harebrained thing I've mentioned, and I've already mentioned this guy, Drew, to you before. Um, Pull something from Russ Baker's book about the Bush family and use that to talk about Watergate because there's a bunch of really crazy stuff. It's called Family of Secrets, and it's probably 
it's definitely it definitely edges into conspiratorial, but it does ask a lot of interesting questions in terms of just the fact that the Bush family was kind of everywhere throughout like the sixties up until obviously up until Barack Obama became president. George H.W. Bush, along with previous presidents and future presidents after JFK, were all in Dallas that day. Like and I'm not trying to insinuate that oh, all these presidents, it's a scheme. Oh, it's it's a cabal. Ooh. No, I mean, God, I, I, that would make for a pretty good screenplay. Why not? That, But that in of itself is bizarre. And it's not yeah. just Russ ba Like, plenty of people out there have been like, yeah, like plenty, plenty of professionals, people that worked with these guys were like, yeah, this guy, this future president, the former president, was in Dallas when Kennedy was shot. But he wasn't doing anything. Like, Nixon was there. Totally unrelated to the assassination. See, um, I, want, I wonder if someone will take this idea or just any idea regarding, say, classified information, and and rather than post it on a uh, Discord server, write a screenplay about it. Like, I, I mean, that's that's the most out of left field thing you could ever do. But like, who's to say that that wouldn't garner? I mean. Talk about new material that you wouldn't expect to break box office numbers. Are you kidding me? Like, hey, I'm not going to, I'm not indicting anyone here when I say this, but I think a lot of individuals would much rather see failed government operations and dramatizations of that. Mm -hmm. The way I see it, you got at least two airmen that you could make stories about. And you could do it in such a way where you could frame it almost as if you were framing the Waco miniseries, you know, or Ruby Ridge. Like, it's it's one of those things where it's like, you want to dramatize something that's historical and that's affecting us now or, ha or could have further implications? Again, that would probably be out of the realm of possibilities because I'm sure the government would be knocking at your doorstep, wondering, knock, knocking at your door wondering how you got access to this information and subsequently releasing it as a dramatization. But it begs the question why certain movies or certain miniseries like Waco even exist at all. Mm -hmm. And my main theory is that everyone who was ever involved in that are dead or no longer able to lend their side of the story outside of maybe eyewitness accounts, right? Mm. Uh, it's not to say that if they made a movie about uh, the recent Air National Guardsman, that you know, good old Jack wouldn't be storming at the box office being like, where's my cut? Because I made this story happen. But, you know, you don't see, you don't see David Koresh grandstanding about why his Waco miniseries is obviously about the flaws of that cult or Jim Jones about the faults of his. It's like, I, w <laughs> I often wonder why they made so many, you know, so much media around Watergate. And I'm wondering if it's because Nixon isn't alive to basically refute any of it anymore. That helps. I mean, I wonder aloud why there's no, the other day, I, I saw like one of the Waco miniseries on Netflix. It was like Waco, American Tragedy or some dramatic yeah. bullshit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, where's the Oklahoma City bombing one? Sorry for the laugh, but I'm just like, right. 
how come there is no Oklahoma City bombing one? Is it just too fresh? I mean, there's documentaries about the Trump presidents or there's like, you know, PBS stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think there might be something there, but, you know, there's Oklahoma City bombing. I've never seen a peep, but Spike Lee made a 9-11 movie. So I'm like, Where, where's the Oklahoma City stuff? Right. It, it, it sort of makes me wonder what constitutes as good entertainment when you're drawing that fine line between historical significance and overall dramatized hype like oh how many people are going to be hyped to see the um i don't know if it was a mini series or a legitimate movie about a you know columbine for instance i think there was a mini series about it I'm not going to ask the question, man, how hyped were you to see that miniseries? Because obviously it's not a series to be hyped about. It's a series to understand what went wrong and what we could do to further prevent incidents in history of that caliber. So it's like, what's the line in the sand that needs to be drawn between, I hate to say it, but respect for the dead and actual like teaching opportunity in your in your media yeah well it's also a matter of what is it that the public is going to consume that is going to receive greater acclaim greater recognition but also just spread more awareness on any given topic and i think the best example one i've been sitting on for the last several minutes uh is um the the whole Edward Snowden affair and how you had two interpretations of, you know, basically telling those events. You had um, much quicker, much sooner, you know, released not that long after uh, everything happened back in 2013, happened a little over a year later, um, the release of Citizen Four by documentary filmmaker Laura Poitras, which was you know an award-winning film uh it had a whole plethora of notable names attached to it obviously it's a documentary so you're seeing glenn greenwald go to hong kong and see edward snowden in person you're seeing the man himself talk about x y and z the famous photo of him that was released uh i'm pretty sure technically came from that film um you see him get out of Dodge by the end of it. And it did lead to a lawsuit. Um, just going back to our good friends over at the good news website of Wikipedia. Um, actually there was a few lawsuits, one from a retired Naval officer and an oil executive, uh, from Kansas. There's something about Kansas, uh, that doesn't like Edward Snowden, uh, filed a suit against the film's producers quote on behalf of the American people end quote, for aiding and abetting Snowden's leaks. Um, there was also, the year after the documentary came out, filmmakers asked, oh, wait, no, that's, oh, that's the same, uh, that's the same lawsuit, never mind. Um, but basically, filmmakers asked the U.S. District Court for the District of Kansas uh, to dismiss the lawsuit on standing and jurisdictional grounds and on First Amendment grounds, citing Bartnicki v. Vopper, uh, Edwards, the oil executive officially dropped the case on April 3rd, 2015. Um, flip side to that is the Oliver, not to necessarily go back to the JFK world, but it relates back also to Edward Snowden. 
Um, you've got the Oliver Stone film, which I think was just called Snowden, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Edward Snowden and Nicolas Cage playing himself working at the CIA. Um, love that scene, because uh, it's just... Edward Snowden walks into a room and he's like, oh, I need help and advice on how to do this, this, and this. And it's just Nicolas Cage being like, oh, let me help you here. Uh, but it's so weird. It's just out of the blue. Ah, it's Nicolas Cage. Um, like, everyone else is playing a character. Like, Zachary Quinto is doing something to be like Glenn Greenwald. Uh, shoot. Uh, I think, you know, Tom Wilkinson is playing Alan Rusberger, who is with the Guardian at that time, uh, Scottish reporter that went and saw Snowden the same time that Greenwald did. Um, and, you know, it just kind of comes off as this kind of thriller that, yeah, the story warrants being like a thriller, but did the movie move the needle? Did it change public opinion? Did it win any accolades? No. Um, same thing goes with attempts at making films about Julian Assange. Like, there was that Benedict Cumberbatch movie that no one remembers. So, you know, it, it, it's... But also, when it's Watergate, how many friggin' times has there been a documentary about Watergate? And how many more does there need to be? Right. So, because how many times can we listen to Richard Nixon make anti-Semitic or God knows what other horrible remarks about literally anyone? Well, how many times can we tell the same damn story? And I feel yeah. as though they're doing it to not subvert expectations, but basically to highlight the current political climate that we're in. And it's like, hey, here's how past instances affect present circumstances. And that's great. You don't want, you do want to learn from the negative aspects of history so that you won't be doomed to repeat them. However, when you've been told so many times how something is right and something is wrong and the market becomes a little, you've managed to saturate that, that basic human belief of what is right and what is wrong through demonizing a president that let's be serious. We weren't alive to experience, but are alive to understand what had happened. Yeah. It's jading and it's, not interesting anymore. And while it was interesting for a time and still is for historical buffs who are seeking to change the political climate, I'd venture to guess that there's someone out there who's basically looking at this and being like, well, that's one hell of a rap sheet, but who cares? Mm -hmm. You know? Totally. Andrew. There's even a... Oh, nothing. I was just going to say, like, there's even a damn... I hear it's good, but there's even a movie about Nixon's like interview with Frost Nixon, like ten years like later. So, yeah, man, uh, I don't want to say it's beating a dead horse because I didn't know about this stuff, but um, I'm sure we'll be having these same conversations on Mars and Life season 33 when uh, you know the 100th uh, Trump or you know January 6th documentary comes out. Well, it's like if you want to equate this to sort of modern writing and joke telling i mean i hate to say it but like and ryan i'm gonna kind of throw you under the bus here but it's not for your sake it's not for it's not your fault but i think it's just sort of fault of the jokes perpetuated nowadays since trump has been elected you know 
It's like you said, Drew, how many times have we heard orange man bad or have this faux impersonation of Trump because we're trying to bastardize him? And at that point, it's not funny because we know the man is a blaring fuck up, both in politics as well as just basic human etiquette. You know, true. I definitely don't need a stand up comedian to tell me where my morals lie to basically demonize this man. I can demonize him all I want for my own reasons. And when I hear funny men impersonating Trump for sake of either pushing their political opinion across or basically grandstanding their failing improv group, uh, it, sorry, buddy, but you're not getting any snaps from the crowd from me because it's an overdone joke. Yeah. It's been overdone since 2016. I'm sorry. You beat a dead horse. There's not going to be any horse left if you beat it long enough. <laughs> no, that's fair. And it's... and believe me, that I, I don't look forward, if he wins in next year, I don't look forward to whatever our culture becomes as a result of it. We've already lived through it. It yeah, sucked. We've, we've already lived through it. Go through it again. We've already lived through it. To ameliorate it, don't become a product of your environment. Don't listen to what he has to say. I mean, granted, we have to live with him as a, as our, you know, supreme leader. But <laughs> I can safely say that the amount of dissenting opinions that are understandably in the news has some merit. Okay, it's yeah. not just a proverbial echo chamber of conservatives taking the mainstream media, basically saying that Democrats are trying to silence it out. And only by subscribing to PragerU are we going to win this fight to, to, to democracy. It's like, conjure your own opinions. Live your life independently. Understand what is good and what is right in the world. Maybe not, maybe not garner so much respect for political officials who don't even have your best interests in mind. I'm just spitballing here. Just a thought, you know? Just a thought. Drew, you get the last word on, uh, on this discussion. Go watch something in black and white. <laughs> yeah. I know, Sorry, I know you said I said final word to you, but I uh, just want to extend uh on behalf of everyone at mars on life just want to extend our well wishes to friend of the show kenneth barry uh, i know he's been uh under the weather as of late uh i won't go into the personal details but i uh, just wanted to give that shout out and hope you just get out of there soon buddy gentlemen say bye now bye now bye Mars on Life is a podcast co-hosted by Sebastian Shug, Ryan Mancini, Andrew Martinez, and Matt Fernandez. If you like this episode, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite shows, as Mars on Life is available on Anchor, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Audible, Stitcher, Spotify, and Podchaser. Find us on Instagram at Mars on Life Show to keep up with the latest news, episodes, and gratuitous updates on the Red Planet. Have a question, comment, or request? Email us at marsonlife at gmail.com and we'll promptly get back to you. 
This show's artwork, titled Happy Mars, was drawn by Zachary Urbrick. Our show's regular intro and outro music is Space Explorers by the one and only Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening, and always remember, if you keep going, you'll make it to Mars. <laughs>